you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. As we continue our series about our mission onward. The last few weeks, just to kind of give you a brief recap, if you've, if you've missed a couple of them, or, uh, or if this is your first time with us, we looked at the foundation of our mission, which is the fact that God is on mission. We looked at the fuel for our missions, which is worship. We looked at how we fit into this mission of God. The Great Commission. We're to make disciples. That's how we fit in. That's what we're to be doing. And then we saw last week how we accomplish the mission. By the power of the Holy Spirit working through us, we will be His witnesses. And then for the next four weeks, we're going to look at some very practical things. We're going to look at very practical things like, what should you and I be doing? And so this week, we're going to look at the fact that we cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. I just want to make a side note. I was very encouraged on... As we're going through this series, I hope it's this is not just something that we're doing on Sunday morning. I hope this I hope this works its way into every nook and cranny of our church and the way we think, the way we live, the way we do church. And I was very encouraged on Wednesday. Several there were three different people that came to me at three different times and said, you know, while you were while you were preaching or while we were studying this, while I was at home thinking about it, the Lord impressed on me that I could do this. Somebody came to me and said, well, the Lord impressed on me that we as a church could do this. And I would encourage you, as we go through this, don't just think like, well, if the Lord gives you something, then well, let's just let it go. No, if the Lord is impressing something on you that maybe we could do as a church, we're in this thing together. Share it. Let it be known. Maybe you have a great ministry idea that we could do to reach people. Maybe you have a great evangelism or witnessing strategy for the community that you live in. Share it. We want to empower you. We want to be in this thing together. So as you turn into Ezekiel 33, I want to ask you, what are some sad sounds that maybe you have heard? Maybe it is bad news. That's a pretty sad sound. Maybe it's a doctor who comes to you and says, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid it's cancer. Maybe it's someone coming and telling you that one of your loved ones has just died. Maybe it's a sad sound you've heard might just be a depressing song. Depressing movie. Could be the cry of a hurting child. As a parent, that's one of the saddest things I hear is when my children are truly hurt. And they're in tears and crying. But church, I'm convinced this morning that the saddest sound that we will ever hear is the sound of silence. And that silence echoes through the halls of hell and back again bringing with it the screams of those who are condemned and in torment for eternity. Because of our silence. When we look at this passage in Ezekiel today, we're going to see that God has made us watchmen 
to warn others, those around us, about the coming judgment and to point them to the hope that's found only in the Gospel. And so, stand with me. Let's, let's look at God's Word in Ezekiel 33 and what God says to the prophet. The Word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet doesn't take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his own iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whatever you hear, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you don't speak to warn the wicked man to turn from his way, that wicked person will die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you shall have delivered your soul. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked man turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back. Why will you die, O Israel? Heavenly Father, I pray that Your words would challenge us But Lord, more than that, I pray that Your words would haunt us. Because Lord, we are faithless watchmen. There's so many times that we have not sounded the alarm to those that You put in our paths to share about Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would speak through Your Word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first thing that we see in this text is the image of a watchman. God often, when He's explaining something, gives us an image that we know that we can see to help us understand what He's communicating to us. And the watchman, of course, is something that the original readers would have been very familiar with. 
in that day, nation would rise against nation. They would appoint a person who would watch for the invading army that was going to come and try to conquer their town or their nation. And the watchman's job was to watch for these things. And in verse 3, we see his job. It's, he's to see the sword coming. He is to blow the trumpet. And he is to warn the people. There were two results of his warning. On the one hand, if the watchman sounds the alarm and people neglect it, and they are taken away and killed by an invading army. Their blood is on their own hands. It's on their own head. They were warned, but they ignored it. But, more tragically, if the watchman neglects his duty, if he falls asleep at his post, so that the people are not warned, And an army comes and takes the people away and kills them. He is responsible for their deaths. Even though he didn't kill the people, he is guilty of negligent homicide. Even though he didn't personally take the sword and slay the people, he is an accomplice to their deaths. And so, the watchman, even though he had such a simple job, even though it was so simple, he was more important to the security of a nation than were its armies or its walls. God gave us this image of a watchman to tell us that He Himself, God Himself, has established a watchman. He gives us the image, and then secondly, in the text, we see the watchman from God. The one that He has established. Ezekiel is that watchman. He is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. And God tells him, Ezekiel, son of man, it is your job to warn the house of Israel. To warn the people. And God tells him the consequence of his silence. O oh, son of man, if you neglect to tell the people, if I say the wicked will surely die, and you don't tell him, the wicked one will die. He'll be taken away in his iniquity. But his blood, Ezekiel, I will require at your hand. His job was to warn Israel of its rebellion and the judgment that was going to come upon them in this life and the one to come, if they continued in their rebellion. But you know, Ezekiel and the prophets are not the only watchmen sent from God. We, church, make no mistake, we are the watchmen. Why are we the watchmen? Because the message that we proclaim is of an even greater judgment than the judgment that Ezekiel proclaimed to Israel. He was proclaiming 
judgment in this life to Israel, but the message that we proclaim is a message of judgment, the coming of a just king who will not just issue judgment in this life only, but will who he will issue judgment and judge people for eternity, an eternal judgment, an eternal condemnation. We see in Revelation chapter 6 this great judgment. At the end of history, we're going to see what it says here. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave or free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. That's pretty bad, isn't it? And they cry out what they say in that they say they're calling to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Church, we proclaim as watchmen a greater wrath than the wrath of Ezekiel that he was proclaiming. We are proclaiming the fact that judgment is coming. Proverbs says this about mankind. It says in Proverbs 14, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death, to destruction. What we see in the Scriptures is that there is a coming judgment. And listen, and I want you to hear me. That people in the world are not ready for this judgment. Because people, we by our very nature think that we're, everything is okay, that the course of our life is going in a good direction. But what we see from the Proverbs and we see throughout Scripture is we may think that our lives are going well. We may think that the ones around us, that their life is going well, but in the end, their way of life without the Lord is going to lead to their eternal destruction. We proclaim a message of greater judgment than Ezekiel did. But also, the message that we proclaim, church, is the only hope. Not only is it a message of a greater judgment, but it's a message of the only hope for mankind. A Savior came, Jesus Christ. He lived a life that we should have lived, a righteous life. A holy life. And He died the death that you and I deserved. So that if we turn to Him through repentance and faith, we can be saved from God's wrath. We can be saved from His judgment. And we can be declared righteous and innocent before God. But not only that, we can receive forgiveness and adoption as children. God doesn't just say, like, I want to forgive you. God says, I want to adopt you. I want to bring you into the fold. I want to have a perfect relationship with you. I want to walk with you in the times in life where no one else will walk with you. I want to give you hope in the absolute worst times, hopeless times in your life. And then when eternity comes, I want to usher you into the Father's good pleasure, the Father's joy for eternity. That message is the only hope. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I preach, if, or if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting. 
for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. It's a necessity. If this message is the only hope, then Paul's saying, woe is me if I don't preach it. If I don't share it. Then he says in, in Acts chapter 20, Paul speaking and he says, Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul is saying, I am innocent of everyone's blood because I did not shrink back from telling people about God's judgment and the only hope that people have. I did not shrink back from sharing the gospel with them. But the opposite is also true, isn't it? If Paul is innocent of their blood because he did share with them, how much more are we guilty if we do not share with them? How much more are we guilty if we don't share with them? If we're honest with ourselves, we could walk over in the cemetery And if we could hear voices coming from the grave, I imagine that we would hear voices crying out from hell, saying to you and to me, why didn't you tell me? Your silence sealed my doom. Why didn't you tell me? We become guilty of their blood when we refuse to share the gospel. When we stay silent. But notice that this passage doesn't just say that we're guilty to the people that we slay with our silence. But it says that we are accountable to Almighty God Himself. Notice in the text in Ezekiel, God says that His blood, I shall require at your hand. I, the Almighty. In other words, it's not just going to be the, the voices from the grave that say, why didn't you tell me? It's going to be the Almighty God thundering from heaven saying, why didn't you tell them? Why didn't you tell them? Somehow, some way, Christian, God is going to hold us accountable for our silence. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to hold up hands that are dripping with blood of the people that we have killed with our silence. God will hold us accountable for our silence. One day in August of 1908, a guy by the name of Harold Braley and a lady named Lottie Davis set out from San Bernardino, California to a small mining camp in Skidoo where Harold was the assistant superintendent of the mine and Lottie was the postmaster. The journey was only supposed to take about five hours and so they just packed very light provisions. They, they packed you know, a few sandwiches, something they could eat, and they packed a, just one bottle of water for them to drink. It was not going to take long. As they journeyed through the hot desert, mechanical problems started to develop. 
And what should have only taken five hours left them stranded there for over four days. And on the fourth day, Harold started just becoming delirious. The heat was, was getting to him. He was starving. He was thirsty. And Lottie knew that the only hope that he had was if she left and tried to get help. And she remembered that there was, there was a small village, a small camp several miles away. And if only she could get there in time, she might could save his life. So she walked all day. She walked all night. And the next day, she was so overcome with exhaustion that she collapsed. But she pushed herself up on her hands and her knees. And she crawled through the hot desert sand across jagged rocks that were cutting her knees and cutting her hands. She crawled for four long miles. And she finally came to the camp, this small mining camp, and as soon as she reached there, barely alive, a hoarse whisper came out of her mouth. She told them what had happened. And as soon as she uttered her message that would ultimately save Harold's life, she collapsed unconscious and was not revived until the following day. If she had not seized that moment to use her feeble breath to declare the message that she had to the people, it would have cost Harold his life. He would have been claimed by the desert. What drove this delicate woman to crawl four miles through a blazing August sun through the desert? What drove her to do it was she knew that a man's life was hanging in the balance. That it meant life or death for another person. And so the question, church, if a person would crawl four miles through a desert so that she could save a person's life, how much more should we, should you and I deliver a message that could save someone's soul? We should go not just one mile, not just two miles, not just four miles. We should walk the hundredth mile. We should walk the thousandth mile. Whether we have to run or swim or walk, or even crawl to get our message out. To get the only hope that people have. And so the question is, are we going to be faithful in our witness? If we truly believe that this message is the only hope that lost people have, are we going to be faithful, church, to go and share it? Are you going to be faithful in your inner circles to share it with people around you? And let me tell you, God has placed in our lives people that the only, we may never know, we may be the only people 
that ever shares the gospel with them, that ever warns them of God's judgment, but gives them the hope of the promise of His salvation, will we be faithful to tell them? Finally, in the text in Ezekiel, we see the message of the watchman. The message of the watchman there in verse 11. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. First thing in God's message is the fact that He does not desire people to perish. He doesn't desire people to perish. Now the Bible is clear. God will judge sin, yes. He won't let the the guilty go unpunished. He will, he will hold every person to account and we will all fall short of His standard. But even still, God feels genuine sorrow over the punishment and the destruction of creatures who were made in His very image. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us the same thing. It says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Peter testifies and says the same thing. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness. But He's patient towards you. Not wanting that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. God doesn't rejoice when people perish in their way. But instead, God rejoices when they come to Him. He rejoices when the sinner comes to Him. And so, I want us to see, after we see the fact that God has no desire for the death of the wicked, notice what He says next. So central to to His message. He says, turn back. Turn back. We can hear the call of our God calling to sinners in the world saying, turn back. Pleading with them, please, turn back. You're going down a road that ends in destruction. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, let me tell you that hear the voice of God to you. God is calling to you. God is is calling, come back, turn back. And you may think, you know, I'm too far for God to reach me. I've gone so far in my life and I'm so down my, my path that... God won't, God won't take me. That's not the message we see in Ezekiel. God is pleading with people, turn back. Turn back. And let me tell you, God is not unable to save you. God can do it. His arm is not too short that He can reach you wherever you are. And it is my prayer It is my hope that people who are far from God would come to know Him. And people who who think that they're close to God, who think that they have their act together, but aren't trusting Christ for their salvation, that they would come to know Him. The heart of God is exactly what we see here. Turn back. Turn back. Why will you die? The truth is, God is more willing to save you than you are willing to repent. And church, the 
God is more willing to save our community and save those in our lives that are lost. He's more willing to save them than we are to share with them the message of Christ. We see in this text the image of the watchman. God points us to an image to help us understand. We see in this passage the fact that the watchman from God is us. He has appointed us as His watchmen. And finally, we see the message of the watchman that God tells us to proclaim. It's a message of hope. A message of grace. It is good news to those who are far from God. That God is not sitting up there waiting to get you. He's not sitting just waiting, heating up hell, waiting for your arrival. But He is sitting there patiently, Calling, pleading, would you come home? Would you come home? God has made us watchmen to herald a message of hope to those who are perishing. And again, if you're in this room this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to be warned. I want you to be warned. But at the same time, I want you to hear the promise of God. You can be forgiven. You can be transformed. Yes, even you. Will you receive His message? And this morning, in just a, just a minute or two, we're going to sing a song. And I would encourage you, if you're saying, you know, that's me, and I, I, want, to, I want to receive this message. I know that I have sinned, that I have rebelled against God, and I know that His judgment is coming against me, and I see the promise that He's offering me, a promise of a close relationship, a promise of forgiveness, a promise of adoption, a promise to never leave us or forsake us. If that's you this morning, I pray that and, and hope that in just a couple of minutes when we sing, that you would come, that you would do something a little awkward, that you would squeeze by the person in your pew, you would come out, come down the aisle where I'll be standing, and just come and say something simple to me like, I want to receive what you're telling me about, preacher. And I'll be happy to pray with you. I'll be happy to point you to the hope of the Gospel. But if you're in this room this morning and you're a Christian, let me say to you, we cannot be silent. Who is in your circle of friends that doesn't know Christ? Tell them. Who is in your workplace that doesn't know Christ? Tell them. Who is in your family, maybe even your children, maybe your parents, who doesn't know Christ? Tell them. Students, who's in your school that doesn't know Christ? Tell them. Who are your neighbors that don't know Christ? Tell them. Because the truth is, we may not know when we will finally have our very last chance to tell somebody the Gospel. We do not know when they will go from this life and face a holy and just God. And church... If there is an ounce of God's love in our hearts, how can we hoard the Gospel? How can we be silent? If there is an ounce of love of God in us, we must tell people. If we really believe the things that we say, we must 
Tell people. In 1860, there were over 140 miners that were killed when the mine that they were working in exploded. The famous preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached a sermon after that which he urged people. He said, you don't know when the last time you're going to have to tell people about Jesus. We all thought we were going to see these 140 men tomorrow. Parents, you don't know when your child will die. I say that as a parent. Children, those of you who have parents, you don't know when your parents are going to die. You don't know when your friends are going to die. You don't know when they're going to perish from this life suddenly and all of a sudden you're going to be standing over their coffin and hear their cry, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me when you had time? This is what Charles Spurgeon says. But so live that when you hear the funeral bell for a neighbor even, that you may be able to say, Poor soul, whether he has gone to heaven or to hell, I know I am clear of his blood. Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them, to stay and not to madly destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, then let it be filled with the teeth of our exertion. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Church, Christian, Are we going to let the people around us that God has appointed us to tell the Gospel, are we going to let them perish unwarned? Or will we tell them the only message, the only hope that they have? Will we do like the old hymn that we just sang says, Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And God, I pray that this series would become very real to us. That we would get beyond studying the theology, the scriptures, you know, all the all the stuff around it, and that we would we would practically see that people around us are perishing. And we hold in our hands the only thing that can truly save them. 
We hold in our hands the only thing that can bring them joy in this life and the one to come. And Lord, I confess, there's more that we could do. Lord, I confess the opportunities that I've had to share the Gospel and failed. And Lord, I think if we're honest with You that we all have done that. Help us to see, Lord, Your heart to save people. Your willingness to bring people who are far from You close to You. And Lord, I pray that we would be haunted that we would be haunted by the possibility of us having to hold up hands that are covered in blood because we were silent. So help us, Lord. Give us the strength. Give us the Spirit. The One who enables us to go. And help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.